of a healthy church when people are so, to encouraged to greet each other that they don't want to stop doing that. And on the basis of the last two minutes, I'd say you're extremely healthy. So that's really good. How many of you just met someone really interesting or good looking or fascinating? <laughs> How many of you, to be honest, did not, and you're irritated? Just really... <laughs> okay, well that's really good. But it's great to uh, can I really enjoying this time with you already? Uh, some of you've been kind enough to be uh, encouraging about the first session, which is nice. By the way, uh, your leaders can never say this to you, but in- encourage those who who uh, serve and minister. Sometimes we're a bit nervous about doing that because we think they might get proud or something. But just encourage them. And leaders should receive encouragement well. You ever meet those Christian leaders, you, you go up and you say, you know, thanks for leading the worship or thanks for the message. And they say, no, 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 no. <laughs> it was him, it was him. The story is told of a lady who went up to her, her pastor and she said, thanks for the message this morning. He said, no, 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 no. It was him, it was him. She said, well, he weren't that good. <laughs> So, there you go. Nice to have lovely Tony and Muriel with us this morning. Uh, yes. Tony and Muriel and Kay and I uh, worked together years ago in leadership training. Uh, we ran a course called Equip to Lead. Uh, they were consistent uh, examples of Christian character uh, leadership, and in Tony's case, wearing the most fluorescent socks known uh, in the history of socks, basically. Uh, today, sporting a rather fine canary-coloured uh, pair of socks, which you might want to line up and view later, <laughs> not to embarrass him in any way. But um, far more importantly, tender-hearted, both of them kind encouragers, and it's just so good. It's just so good to see you again. I know that you are. Uh, loved and honoured and welcomed here. Uh, some of you have been buying uh, books, well done, fulfilling God's will for your life. <laughs> and uh, if I can just mention uh, a couple of others, uh, this one is called There Are No Ordinary People. It's the story of Barnabas, the story of Barnabas, uh, an ordinary guy who, who lived life beautifully and therefore um, made uh, a difference uh, Bear Grylls, you know Bear Grylls? Uh, he said a poignant reflection on how we can all live life as everyday heroes. Some people say, how do you know Bear Grylls? Well, uh, I am, it's not, not many people know this, but I'm Bear's personal physical trainer. <laughs> Thank you for your support. So uh, that's available. And then this book, uh, years ago, John Ortberg wrote a great book called If You Want to Walk on Water... You have to get out of the boat. And it's a brilliant book. This is no way a rebuttal of that. But this book is called, If You Want to Walk on Water, Consider Staying in the Boat. Uh, Why is that? It's because Peter did get out of the boat, but the rest of the guys didn't. And uh, sometimes we point to him, we forget them, and we forget that there are some things that we should do, and there are some things that we should not do. Um, As Ortberg says so well, Peter wasn't a spiritual bungee jumper. He got out of the boat because Jesus told him to. And sometimes knowing your sphere or your limits is a good thing. Uh, Let me give you an example of that. I used to lead worship years ago um, with a guitar. And uh, 
Uh, I did it quite a bit. And then one day, a trusted friend came to me and said, Jeff, can I be honest? And I said, yes. And he said, the body of Christ was sigh a selective sigh of relief. If you would just hang up your guitar forever. <laughs> and uh, subtle, um, but actually liberating. And I focused then on what I could do. And knowing what I couldn't do was a really helpful thing. Uh, the idea that you can do anything is not true. You know, people say, I can do anything. Uh, no, you can't. And I can hear someone saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, that's true, but that's the things that Christ strengthens you for. And by the way, Paul wrote that while under house arrest. So the idea that that means you can do anything is ridiculous. I cannot fly without tickets, play the bassoon, speak Japanese, or give birth to twins. So the idea that I can do anything is ridiculous. And this, is, this book is about that. It's things I wish I'd known in my earlier journey. Um, I wish I'd known that um, saying sorry at times can mean nothing. I wish I'd known that teaching isn't deep just because it's confusing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wish I'd known that it's okay to, for church to be boring sometimes. Uh, I wish I'd known that gossip is delicious but deadly. Uh, I wish I'd known that agitation is sometimes a gift from God. So loads and loads of different things in there. And as I said, you buy any three books, you get this one for free. Things my grandchildren uh, taught me. So we have been thinking about this theme, um, where do you live? And in our first session, we talked about Elijah, who was living in a cave of depression, and I want us to turn now to Jonah, who was living in a desert of anger. Anger generally, but specifically anger with God. I want you to know that we've specifically made space uh, as part of this session for some prayer ministry. I want you to be uh, aware of that and thinking about that as we move through the story. Now, if you say Jonah, the, the thing that most commonly pops into people's head is a fish. Uh, it's a fishy story. G. Campbell Morgan famously said that people have focused so much on the great fish that they've missed out on the great God of the story of Jonah. The story really, it's not about a fish. It's not even about Jonah. The story really is about the grace of God and God being gracious to them to whom he chooses to show grace. So let me just give you a bit of a uh, an overview of the story. Chapter 1, remember, uh, God calls Jonah. Jonah ignores the, the calling, books himself on a cruise to Tarshish. Uh, there's a great storm. He's thrown overboard and he's swallowed by a large fish. Uh, chapter 2 is the uh, most unusual prayer meeting in history because he's praying from the belly of a whale, uh, which couldn't have been pleasant. Uh, not the whale, big fish, I should say. Uh, shouldn't have been, couldn't have been pleasant either for Jonah or, frankly, for the big fish. And um, there's a repentance of sorts and then a time of projectile vomiting as the great fish um, vomits and Jonah flies out and lands on dry land. Uh, chapter 3 is a bizarre chapter um, because Nineveh becomes revival town. Uh, the king repents, the people repent, and even the animals repent. It's a bit of a Monty Python scene. You know, these horses wandering around in sackcloth. You know, why the long face and all of that. Um, well, I've repented. It's all a bit, all a bit strange. 
And chapter 4, therefore, comes as an incredible surprise. Because Jonah has seen effectiveness in ministry rarely seen. He's preached a one-sentence sermon and the whole city has repented. I'm tempted to say, how many think that more sermons should be one sentence? (laughs) Come forward right now. One sentence sermon and uh, the whole city repents. You'd think you'd be dancing around, head-butting a tambourine, generally getting excited. But here's what we read in Jonah chapter 4. This is where Jonah is living. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Sing, by the way, let's just pause here. You're seeing a parallel here because we just had Elijah praying for death. Now we've got Jonah doing something similar. Verse 4, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? A few years ago, um, I was um, traveling uh, to uh, San Jose in uh, California to speak at a church there. I was on my way to... San Jose, and I knew the way to San... Some of you look at me like, what are you talking about? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, I was connecting through uh, Los Angeles Airport. I had a three-hour connection time. I parked myself on one of those um, plastic bucket seats, helpfully provided by a demonized designer um, in the airport when uh, I'm just sitting there minding my own business when suddenly I heard my name being called over the airport tannoy. Uh, Paging uh, passenger Lucas, Paging Phoenix passenger Lucas, uh, please go to gate 28A where your plane is waiting to depart. You are delaying the departure of your plane. Go there immediately. I immediately flushed with embarrassed shame. I'm imagining all of these people uh, in the plane Uh, waiting for me to arrive so they can ritually burn my bags on the runway. And I'm rushing now through the city. Where's gate 28A? Where's gate 28A? And I'm I'm panicked and I'm agitated in response to this announcement when I suddenly had a revelation, ladies and gentlemen. I realised that I wasn't going to Phoenix. (laughs) No, I was on my way to San Jose. 
and I'm rushing through the airport looking for the Phoenix plane and I realised it wasn't me that they were calling. But I couldn't just stop because I was really running fast. I couldn't just stop and turn around. People might notice. <laughs> so I pretended I had a, f- a phone call on my mobile phone and I, and I stopped and said, yes, hello, Mr. President, you know, and, and uh, turned around and went back. I heard my name called and I immediately ran in the wrong direction. That's this story. Only it wasn't an airport announcer and it really was an announcement for Jonah and he ran in the wrong direction. Happened around 2,700 years ago, 750 BC. Preaches this successful sermon, uh, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You'd expect him to be excited as I mentioned But what do we read? We read, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. And if you studied the text very carefully, ladies and gentlemen, you will see that the writer wants us to know that Jonah is not just mildly irritated in a British sort of way, with a left eyebrow raised very slightly and a, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, kind of reaction. That is not what is happening here. Let's dig into some of the technicalities of the text just for a moment. First of all, there is a literary feature, a grammatical feature in the book of Jonah. It is called a figura etymologia. What is a figura etymologia? I know you're dying to know that. And some of you, perhaps driving here today, you said to each other, I wonder if we'll find out about what a figura etymologia is. Well, let me help you. It's a double emphasis Um, where you say something twice in order to make an emphasis. And so in Jonah we read in chapter 3, they proclaimed a proclamation. That's a figura etymologia. And the sailors feared a great fear. Figura etymologia. And in uh, Jonah's anger, um, the word great, by the way the word great is very prominent in Jonah, um, Nineveh is a great city, the fish is a great fish, the storm is a great storm. And then we read that Jonah was greatly angry. The Hebrew is, he was angry, ra'ah, with a great ra'ah. He was really upset. And it was an anger that led to total despair. And he says, take away my life, for it's better me, for me to die than to live. And and scholars tell us that in the Hebrew text, there is actually a brief pause after Jonah's prayer for death. Let me me illustrate that in a a basic way. It goes like this. I am angry enough to die. Pause. Dun, dun, dun. That's the mood that the writer is trying to create. And Jonah, this is not just a one-off because he repeats his request to die. He is really angry. Let me make this statement. There are times when we don't just feel angry. There are times, brothers and sisters, when we don't just feel angry with life. I dare to say there are times when we feel angry with God. Angry with God. And the Bible is very frank about that. And Jonah is not isolated in his anger towards the Lord. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, 
on an emotional high than plummeting to emotional lows. Listen, listen to these words from Jeremiah 20. It's like halfway through the worship time, his foot got run over by a truck. Just, just listen to this. Sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Curse be the day I was born. <laughs> what? May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who bought my father the news and made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, about a cry at noon, for he didn't kill me in the womb. With my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? He is not happy. (laughs) And there are times when, if we're honest, We feel like that. Jonah is not condemned in his anger. But I want to suggest to us, as we've been thinking about Elijah wrestling with depression, now Jonah wrestling with anger, is in both cases, God wants to get under their skin and get to honesty, get to authenticity, get to reality. God wants to get under our skin. Can I make a little comment about observations so far of this church. There is a blessing and a potential temptation for you. Let me explain. When a church is healthy, when worship is thoughtful and vibrant, when preaching is biblical and encouraging, here's what the danger is, everybody. The danger is that we can fall into... A subtle sleep where we live off of the corporate atmosphere. And we get together at the weekend or in our home group and we feel really good and we have a kind of an injection. And because the corporate atmosphere is healthy and good, we start to rely almost exclusively on what is shared in the atmosphere and not dig our own wells personally with the Lord. How many know what I'm talking about here? You understand that There's a subtle danger in a healthy church. And God is getting under Jonah's skin and getting to the heart of the matter. So so what can we learn about this? And uh, some of you are writing notes, which is encouraging. Uh, It's not compulsory by any means, but it's sort of encouraging. So if you're not writing notes right now, um, just help me out by occasionally pretending to write notes. (laughs) Every now and again when I say something, just sort of nod affirmingly and then just do like, go like that. If you really want to help me out, just nudge the person next to you and say, wow. Awesome. Okay. First of all then, just kidding obviously. First of all, let's know this. When we run, God chases. When we run, God chases and he's passionate about it. Uh, we live, can I live in Colorado? Uh, We live at uh, a mile high. Uh, We're up in the air a mile where our home is. And uh, we have lots of 14,000 feet mountains uh, there in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, We have some friends who've got a cabin way up in the mountains. And one day we went up there with a bunch of other friends. And we had these four wheelers. You know what I'm talking about? These four wheel things. And I'm actually dramatically acting out. (laughs) 
the movement of the four-wheel. You know, you ride around big tyres and you can go up hills and all that. What, what do you call them? Quad bikes. That's the biblical term. So quad bikes, <laughs> um, that, those. We're on those. And uh, we're, we're riding along, uh, each of us on a quad bike. And uh, suddenly, uh, one of the group up ahead had stopped and they were pointing uh, across at something. And so uh, I, I stopped and uh, put my quad bike in reverse and um, I'm sitting there, what is it? And they're looking at it, this gigantic moose. And it weighed probably over a thousand pounds, massive thing. And a moose can get a bit tetchy. They've been known to charge moving trains, <laughs> which is not a great hobby. And so he's chewing on some, some bark and a tree and, and uh, we're just watching him. And I turn the engine off, my quad bike off, and I'm just sitting there with the rest of the group. And suddenly this moose looked up. I don't know what it is about my life, but the moose looked up and spotted me. <laughs> and I could see what was going on in the moose's mind. It was like, there's an Englishman. <laughs> there's an English snack. <laughs> So I'm sitting there, and suddenly, without any warning, he is charging towards us at speed, which is dangerous. And so I yelled something. I was scared, so I cried out. I yelled out something like, Oh! <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> and I turned my bike on, forgetting that I was in reverse. Yeah. So revved up the bike, shot straight back towards the moose. And the moose stopped and looked at me as if to say, what is with you? You are the stupidest person I've ever met. And it so surprised him, he gave up thoughts of lunch and just wandered away. I want you to just have that image of me just going the wrong way. The writer of this book, goes to great lengths to let us know that Jonah was going the wrong way. So he's called to go to Nineveh, and he goes in precisely the opposite direction geographically. And he goes to Joppa, which is a seaport near modern Tel Aviv. We, Tel Aviv, we were there on Wednesday, and there are big fish, there's a big fish model, model to commemorate this. Uh, he goes to Joppa. Just an interesting little side note. This is about Jonah preaching to the Gentiles that he hated. And 800 years later, Peter would be asleep on a roof in the same town and receive a message about God's grace for the Gentiles. Isn't the Bible fascinating the way these things all tie together? And so Jonah heads 1,500 miles in the exact opposite direction. He is sent northeast, but he heads southwest. God speaks to him, but he stays silent. And there's another literary device in the book of Jonah. It's the ups and downs of Jonah. So Jonah is called to get up, and he goes down. And he goes down into the boat, and he goes down into the fish. Again, scholars say these are all grammatical uh, methods to give us a clear understanding. He's going downhill. He's running away. And he goes to Tarshish. Sheldon Blank, who is a, a rabbi and biblical scholar, he said, what is Tarshish? 
In the story of Jonah, it's anywhere but the right place. It's the opposite direction. It's the direction a person takes when he turns his or her back, when they turn his or her back on their destiny. Here's a challenge. Are we headed downhill right now or uphill? You say, Jeff, what are you talking about? We're the Saturday crowd who gave up a day to come and be here, and I deeply appreciate that, as I know do your leaders. But it's possible that, nevertheless, we could still be living lives ignoring what God is saying to us. When God called Jonah, there's no recorded response. He doesn't say anything. Normally, Gideon stammers out a response. Moses tries an excuse. Joshua tries an excuse. Jonah just doesn't say anything. Nothing. Let me show you what Jonah's like. Jonah's like, talk to the hand. Because the face isn't listening. And he is headed away from God. Can I just pause for a moment here and and say, uh, it's possible today that you are here. Well, actually, it's not just possible that you are here. You're here. It's possible that you could be attending today and you're not actually a follower of Jesus. And I want to say two things about that. First of all, thank you. Thank you for giving your time, maybe to be here with your spouse or a friend encouraged you to come. And here you are and we're singing our songs and we're sticking our hands in the air in worship. And this may be familiar to you. It may be completely foreign to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, thank you for being here. I mean it. And secondly, can I gently ask a question? What, what's, has God been up to something in your life to get your attention? You know that dream you had a few weeks ago? You know that conversation you had with that person at work who's a Christian? You know that thing you read and and you've stitched it all together and you've collectively written it off as coincidence but the God who often whispers rather than shouts may be wanting to get your attention. So thank you for being here and perhaps this is the day when the hints of God lead you to decide to want to follow him. That's how God got me. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. No Christian background. Went to Sunday school three times and got kicked out for stealing the attendance stars. Anyone remember the attendance stars? My RE teacher at school used to tell me about Jesus. I thought she was mad. Didn't know anything about Christianity at all. One night I decided to pray a prayer. I was about to have a minor surgery. Nothing exciting. It's Baruchas. It's never going to make a bestseller, is it? (laughs) Victorious over Baruchas. And I had about 15 or 20 of these things. I did a lot of swimming and I was about to have them surgically removed. And I'm allergic to pain. So I decided to pray a prayer. But I didn't know who I was praying. It was like a to whom it may concern prayer. I'm in bed one night and I just said, God, if you're there, could you please do something about my verrucas? I got up the next morning 
They're all gone. Overnight. Freaked me out. Like, someone stole my verrucas. <laughs> I phoned my RE teacher. I hadn't planned to share this, but I'm going to just share it because somebody maybe needs to hear this. I phoned my RE teacher. I said, someone stole my verrucas. She said, why don't you come to church tonight? She said, we have a baptismal service. I had no idea what that was. I show up and they are holding an aquatic mugging. <laughs> people, are, people are going down into the tank and you're so familiar with it. And I didn't know what was going on. They go down into the tank. The minister was wearing a long black gown with fishermen's waders. <laughs> Strange fashion choice. And he grabbed these innocent people by the throat and shoved them under the water. They grinned while they were under. They grinned when they came up. I thought they'd been sniffing something. This is really weird. I turned to a friend and I said, um, so we, let's get out of here. There was a guy called Eric Delve preaching that night. So let's get out of here. We sat in my car. I lit a cigarette. I said, that's bleeping well it. I'm never going to bleeping go to another bleeping church for the rest of my bleeping life. I didn't actually say bleeping. <laughs> then I realized I'd left my coat in the church. <laughs> I'm only here because I forgot my coat. I said to my friend, I'm going to go back in. Cover me. <laughs> we went back in. I, was accost- I, I encountered the, the youth leader. I have never seen so many teeth in a human head in my life. He's like jaws with a Bible. He said, hello, you're back. I said, I just came from my coat. He said, why don't you come to the afterglow? Uh, Afterglow? Are they setting fire to the elderly? What is going on? I went in there singing songs and having cups of tea and eating rich tea biscuits. It's only Christians who eat rich tea biscuits. And one of these slightly damp baptismal candidates came skateboarding across the building and he said, hello, he said, are you you a Christian? Kind of blunt. I said, of course I am. I'm British. (laughs) And I realised I wasn't. I said, I want to make that choice now. I I only went back for my coat. My friend piped up. He said, I want to become a Christian too. Can you imagine... The delight in this guy. He's just been baptized. Now he's got two on the hook. I said, what have I got to do? He said, you have to come to the little room at the back. (laughs) Terrifying. Something else happened that day. I might tell you about it later. But here's the thing. Through Veruca's and the kindness of a smiling youth leader the hints of God got through to me and I really hadn't planned to take time with all of that and now I'm staring at the clock anxious but maybe someone just needed to hear about the hints of God and respond and how God pursued him when I was in Bible college 300 years ago they taught us the doctrine of immutability. Immutability is the idea that God cannot be moved by our actions. He is utterly consistent in his his emotions. I don't believe it. I don't believe the Bible teaches that because I believe that the Bible teaches us something about the passion of God. 
His heart turned within him, as scripture says. And God chases after Jonah passionately. Francis Thompson, the uh, devout Roman Catholic who led a tortured life, abandoned his studies for the priesthood, drifted into drug abuse. And he wrote the poem, The Hound of Heaven. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the mist of tears I hid from him. And under running laughter up vistered hopes I sped and shot precipitated. And down titanic glooms of chasmed fears. From those strong feet that followed, followed after. And then Thompson says that God spoke to him and said, Rise, clasp my hand. And come, halts by me his footfall, is my gloom after all, shade of his hand outstretched caressingly. Who knows? Is someone here feeling the outstretched, welcoming hand of God? And today is the day. The second thing is this, at times, and I'm picking up on something we talked about in the first session, at times God disappoints. At times God disappoints. Jonah cared deeply about Israel. He hated the Assyrians and for good reason. These were the Nazi stormtroopers of the day. They were not just fearless in battle, they were brutal and uh, vicious the tortures that they came up with for their enemies, um, I wouldn't stain the atmosphere here by describing them. We sang earlier in this session, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. And Jonah is saying, I raise a, how could you? In the presence of my enemies. He hated them. He hated them. And it's interesting because in his anger, he actually states some of the most beautiful words about God that you'll find in the Old Testament. They're beautiful. You're gracious. You're compassionate. The word means motherly love. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love. But as he speaks out these words, he's not worshipping He's actually really irritated that God is being gracious to, to people that he hates. And he's angry about it. Um, I got a bit of a taste of that some years ago when Rolf Harris went to prison. Do you remember that case? <coughs> Excuse me. High profile case. And after the tragedies of the multiple uh, Jimmy Savile abuses. You know, this man who was serenaded as a... Uh, a wonderful safe pair of hands around children and at the tragedy of Savile. And then Rolf Harris sent to prison. And I put on Facebook, and I want to be absolutely clear about what I'm about to say. I put on Facebook something about Rolf Harris is going to prison today. And I said, uh, without in any way um, diminishing the weight of his horrible crimes... Um, we should, as followers of Jesus, we should pray for him as we pray for all those incarcerated 
that they will have a genuine heart response as they walk through the punitive system and that they meet Jesus in that. Made it really clear I wasn't suggesting any minimizing of his crimes, but just ask for some prayer. My Facebook email filled up. I was told that I wasn't a worthy parent or a grandfather. How dare I ask for prayer for that despicable man? What's going on there? People, and I understand folks, because perhaps if you have walked through abuse or you have children who have, I understand the rage. But the point is it's exactly the same situation. People hating someone and then not wanting them to know anything about the love of God. And that's what's going on here. Can I just say this about Jesus? We've got to allow him to disappoint us. Because if we don't allow him to disappoint us, we'll treat him like a vending machine. And then when we don't get what we want, we'll get petulant about it and stomp off into anger. That's one of the reasons why I struggle with some teaching on Christian television. I'm not against Christian TV. I'm on it. So I'm not against it. And I'm not against Christian radio. I have a weekly radio program. But there is still some stuff taught on Christian television that is ridiculous. Some of it is actually banned in our household. Because Kay doesn't like breakfast cereal dripping down the front of the TV. <laughs> One morning I was sitting there eating my special K with semi-skin milk and raspberries. <laughs> Too much information. And this chap was telling me that um, this guy on TV was saying that um, he had a direct line to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would tell him if there was trouble ahead. And he could then avoid it. And I'm getting angrier and angrier about this ridiculous teaching. And really frustrated. And then suddenly, ladies and gentlemen, it was kind of spooky. He looked straight at me. He looked straight at me. And he said, God has put something in your hand. He wants you to send to me right now. And I'm like, here it is, baby. <laughs> now, I'm angry about that stuff because it's not true. But I'm also angry about it because it makes God to be like some kind of genie in a bottle. Jesus, I repeat it again, Jesus had to ongoingly disappoint his disciples who wanted him to be the military messiah, who would kick out those hated Romans, have we been willing, have we got to the stage in our Christian lives of allowing him to disappoint us? And maybe that's where we find ourselves right now. And today could be a critical moment. Third thing is this. Third thing is don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. We see this in the life of Jonah. Can I make this statement? When we're angry with God, but we don't deal with it, it tends to spill over into our relationships. And so we see Jonah in the fourth chapter. He's mad with God. And then he gets happy about a sunshade. And then there's a vine. But I love it. It's sort of bizarre, isn't it? And God provided a worm. <clears throat> There's a worm and the shade is, is uh, gone. 
And then this Sirocco wind, which would have been awful, uh, an Arabian wind that would have been a terrible experience. And here's what I want you to see. Jonah's angry with God, but now his anger spills over. He is expressing his anger to God, but it's now seeping into his everyday life and the way he deals the details. And he's sweating the small stuff, literally. Did you ever catch yourself doing that? Um, a couple of months ago, I went to the store near to us in Colorado and I bought a sound bar for our TV. And I, I'm talking to the, uh, the nine-year-old assistant who's serving us. And um, I said, um, can I install, do you think I'll be able to install this myself? And he said, sir, any idiot could install it. <laughs> I want you to know I'm going to track that boy down. Because after an hour and a half of much muttering and anger, I suddenly thought, what's the matter with me? I'm sure it doesn't happen in this church, but sometimes... And sometimes, I say that tongue-in-cheek, people get disjointed in their relationship with God and they take it out on each other. I'm going to take a little bit of a risk here. And by the way, um, Philip and Edward have at no point asked me to say anything about anything. They've just said, Philip just said to me, bring what you feel is on your heart. So if I say something that you might think, I wonder if they ask you to say that. <laughs> Not at all. I take responsibility fully, 100%, and I'm leaving town tomorrow. <laughs> Sometimes when people get... Lean forward a bit. This is just between us. <laughs> lean forward. Lean forward. Some of you are going, I will not lean forward. <laughs> I'm a non-conformist. Sometimes when people get a bit angry with God, they can't hit out at God. So what they do is subconsciously they get irritated with people that they think represent God, which can be leaders. And leaders take the heat for God. And you don't know you're even doing it, but you're working out your angst. Or they get mad with the church. If you want to get upset about something, I mean, let's face it, there's plenty of scope. In any church, you want to get irritated, join a church. <laughs> this is a great church, but if you've been part of this for more than six months and nothing has irritated you yet, you're probably clinically dead. <laughs> Why? Why? I hear you say it, I suppose it in a rhetorical way. Because we're now living in a consumer culture. Where we get everything our way. Did you know that in Starbucks, it has been calculated, if you go to Starbucks, there are 87,000 different combinations of drink that you can have. Some sad person with a computer who needs to get out more has calculated those choices. Do you know what that means? That means that that can... That can slip into our attitudes in church. And we get angry because it's not our way. I mean, here's an idea, Philip, Edward. We could, you could have greeters at the door. 
And as people come in, they could, they could say, uh, uh, welcome to the church. Uh, they could say, um, would you like to sit in clapping or non-clapping <laughs> today? And you could say, well, I've had a bit of a rough week. Could I sit in non-clapping, non-listening to the message, non-giving in the offering, and non-participating in the worship, non-smiling? Can I, can I sit in that section? Can I sit there? Oh, I'm sorry, that section's always very full, I'm afraid. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But here's the point I'm trying to make. When our relationship with God gets disjointed, as it happened with Jonah, you get upset about worms and vines and a, a fierce blast of uh, the, Sahara, the Sahara weather in your faith. Don't sweat the small stuff. Well, the fourth thing is this, and we're moving towards a moment. We want to allow at least 20 minutes for us to be able to have some ministry time. So let me just say this. Let's see from this story that God has a habit of being God. And at times we're simply called to trust him. Because you see, that's what Jonah's upset about. He's upset about God doing what God wanted to do. And there's something really interesting here. It's hinted in the text that Jonah seemed to think he had God all figured out. So there's a contrast here. Jonah says, I knew that you were like this. I knew. But the sailors, who Jonah writes off as being a bunch of pagans, the sailors, they all say, who knows? Maybe God. And the king of Nineveh, arch-pagan, he says, who knows? Maybe. But old Jonah, I knew. He's got God all figured out, and now he doesn't like it. As a brand new Christian, within months I knew everything. <laughs> Anyone remember those days? I, I, I knew it all. I even knew when Jesus was coming back. I got a chart from the Christian bookstore. <laughs> Has this happened to you as well? 41 years later, I know more and I understand less. And I have had to make friends with mystery. And it isn't just unanswered prayer that creates mystery. Answered prayer creates mystery. Because when God answers prayer, you say, well, why did he do that? But not this. In fact, I am appalled by my own testimony earlier. When I'm talking about God healing Verrucas... Very conscious that there are people in this building today who could well be sitting there saying, well, bully for you, but what about that cancer that I'm currently battling? And my testimony creates questions as well as answers. But Jesus ended his ministry with trust. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Pre-resurrection ministry came to an end with those words being part, some of the words that he spoke. And the question 
is left at the end of the book of Jonah, God saying, should I not be concerned about that great city? Did you ever notice the story of Jonah begins with God being ignored and the story ends with no response from Jonah, which may just be that he didn't respond or it may be that the question is left hanging for us. Will you trust me? I'm going to ask Rob just to come back. Where's Rob? Uh, Thank you, Rob. And just quietly play for us. And in a moment, we're going to have an opportunity for some prayer and some uh, ministry. We've been talking about anger. We've been talking about depression. Where do we live? Thanks, Rob. Um, But before we do that, let me share one final story in this session. The year is um, 1842, and uh, it's Ireland, it's a man called Joseph Scriven. He was at Trinity College in Dublin and uh, fell in love with a young lady. And the day before their wedding, uh, they arranged to meet to just go through the arrangements. She was riding towards him on a horse. And the horse got startled by something and threw her off as she was crossing a bridge. And she died. So the day before his wedding, he watched his lovely fiancée die tragically. Uh, He emigrated to Canada. And there he met a young lady called Eliza Roche. And they fell in love. And they arranged to marry. But the wedding had to be repeatedly postponed because of illness. And after three years of engagement, she passed away before they could be married. Back in Ireland, his mother, Joseph's mother, was deeply concerned about her son, a Christian, about how his faith was faring with all of this tragedy. And uh, instead of writing back to say, it's okay, I'm fine, he decided to write a poem to express to his mother that he was in his pain, trusting God. And you know the poem. In the letter that he wrote to her, he wrote these words. What a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Think about these words in the light of his story. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And you know what we can also take to the Lord in prayer? We can bring an offering of our anger. We don't have to put it aside to come to Him. We can bring it as part of our prayer.
He knows anyway, doesn't he? We can bring our anger. We can phrase what we feel as a prayer. Repeatedly we see that through scripture. We see it with Elijah. We see it with Jonah. So we're going to pray now. And then in a moment or two, I'm going to invite our prayer ministry lovely people to uh, come over to the front here and make themselves available. But let's just pause for prayer. You know us, Father. You know us better than we know ourselves. And we thank you that when we find ourselves living perhaps in a cave of sadness, you know where we are. And you invite us to draw near to you. And when life circumstances fuel an anger in us we feel angry at the circumstances we may even feel angry with you we thank you that that can be part of our relationship with you we revere you and yet we want to be authentic towards you so Lord as we worship now as we worship Just touch us afresh by your spirit and get under our skin to bring wholeness and trust, submission to your purposes. Thank you for hungry people here today, hungry for you. As we sing together, Move among us, we pray. Can I ask the worship team to come back? And where are our lovely prayer ministry people, please? Can you come and come and stand out at the front here? Maybe over onto my right, that side. 